0: Hi and welcome back to the Outsource Accelerator podcast. My name is Derek Gallimore and we are here for episode number 340. I'm super excited about this episode. I finally got to speak with Dave Palmer. He is the president of EverRise. Everyone is hearing about EverRise recently. They're doing a lot of great work. They're expanding quickly. They're making acquisitions. So almost they're, they're getting a lot of awards as well. So almost wherever you turn, you're hearing and seeing EverEyes, which is great. So I managed to pin down uh, Dave Palmer for a conversation about not only EverEyes and what they're doing, but also his career in the outsourcing industry Uh, he's been working in the industry now for over 27 years so it was a really good conversation with dave and i learned a lot as always if you want any of the show notes go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast enjoy this podcast is brought to you by outsource accelerator we are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you. You are an absolutely seasoned veteran of the outsourcing industry. So I'm super excited to have you on the show. You um, have worked across the industry and you are now president at Everrise. and Everrise is really in the news a lot. It, it's really sort of growing in great strides and it's doing some incredible work in the industry. So it's great to have you on the show. Dave, first of all, I want to kind of dig into your own experience, your, your own um, sort of insights into the industry. So can you give us a brief background of, of you know, how you got introduced to this incredible industry?
1: Yeah, I, I actually have been in the industry for um, almost 27 years this fall. Uh, I started my career on the, on the captive side working for AOL, started as a technical support agent in 1994, um, spent 13 years with uh, AOL, um, and ultimately ended my career there um, managing AOL's global contact center operations um, in 2007, I decided to uh, leave the company and, and joined uh, the outsource side <clears throat> with a company called eTelecare Global Solutions. It was one of the first um, contact centers in the Philippines. Uh, and so since then, uh, I've been on the outsource side with a variety of different companies, both public and private, uh, large and small um, and recently joined Everrise. I wouldn't say recently, but over the last almost three years ago, joined Everrise um, with Sudhir Agrawal, our co-founder or founder uh, of Everrise. And uh, it's been a fun journey for us. We've done a lot of work over the last three or four years in positioning the business. But um, my, you know, passion is uh, is really on the outsource side, and I've had. The opportunity to meet a lot of great executives uh, in in the industry, both on the you know uh, customer side as well as the as as well as the uh, outsource side. So it's been it's been fun for me, and I think the reason that I like it uh, and and enjoy this so much is because. Regardless of vertical, whether it's a healthcare vertical, technology vertical, travel, transportation, hospitality, financial services, when you think about customer experience, um, you see a lot of commonality in what companies are trying to achieve and in, uh, in, in supporting their customers from a business perspective and uh, whether they're selling a product or a service, uh, you know, you can, you can, you can draw parallels across multiple industry verticals, um, and use that experience to, you know, create value on behalf of clients that you're supporting. In fact, I was on a call this morning with one of our client executives, um, and uh, we were having a discussion around Uh, You know digital transformation, and I was you know asking him what he'd like us to focus on, and you know some of the problems that he's working on in 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 his business are, which is in a completely different vertical than another client that I had a discussion about on Monday with on the same topic on Monday are principally the same, and I think that uh, companies like ours can add a lot of value um, to. You know the, the their clients in terms of providing insight on what's happening in the industry um, uh, to support their customers, regardless of vertical. so i i i've I've really enjoyed my you know time uh, in the outsource side uh, over the last thirteen years and and particularly with Everize, because I feel uh, you know that we've built a fantastic team over the last four years with Sudhir, and um, you know we're you know we're focused on you know on a part of the industry that I think is not necessarily just uh, you know uh, 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 you know selling a seat model. We really are trying to build the business to to focus around improving the customer experience and 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 as a result, uh, that translates into you know, a higher lifetime value from a consumer standpoint on behalf of the clients that we service.
0: You started your career on the floor of a, of a contact center and 27 years ago, things must have been a lot simpler back then and predominantly, you know, telephone-based. There wasn't really even kind of the adoption of the internet back then. So how have you seen the industry evolve and change in response to the ever-changing uh, scene of, of business and communications and interactions.
1: Interestingly, you know, part of my role, probably five years in, you know, five to seven years in at AOL, about half of my tenure, one of my roles was uh, focused around, um, you know, technology and, uh, and implementing technology um, solutions to uh, eliminate Uh, unneeded contact volume from a consumer perspective. And at the time, you have to remember AOL had 32 million, 33 million customers worldwide, and the company was growing pretty significantly. Uh, so one of, one of the uh, roles that I had when I was with the company was, um, looking at ways to reduce our customer contact volume. Uh, and this was, you know, almost 20 years ago. And what's really surprises me, one of the things that I think that the key difference is the investment that we had to make was substantially different than the investment companies have to make today in terms of capital investments in their business, right? They think the hurdle rate for companies to uh, implement uh, technology solutions like uh, natural language, understanding, um, uh, IVRs, and natural, you know, chatbots, you know, RPA solutions, I think those have become a lot more affordable uh, for companies that are looking for solutions to service their customers better. Um, And then, you know, as you think back around kind of the advent of, you know, IT-based cloud solutions, um, companies like uh, InContact and Avaya and Cisco and, uh, you know, Genesis have all kind of moved their, you know, telephony uh, platforms to the cloud, which really improved the level of service and affordability that companies could um you know invest in uh on behalf of supporting their customers. So from my perspective, uh, you know I, I I had the advantage of being involved very early uh when I was with AOL in some pretty strategic, you know, projects um you know around self-help, you know, automation, uh you know, uh RPA solutions that would push fixes to the consumer's desktop. So, for me, it wasn't, it's not necessarily a lot of the uh, uh, t- uh, technologies that are servicing consumers today are necessarily new from my career. But as I look back, you know, um, how this has evolved over the past 25, 27 years, um, I think that the the barrier to entry has been lowered pretty significantly for companies that are looking for. Interest, you know, good strong technology solutions to service our customers, Um, and I think that the other, uh, you know, the other point is, Derek, you're in the Philippines, so you would know this as well as anyone else. That the, you know, that the nearshore offshore movement over the last twenty seven years has been pretty phenomenal. I think my first visit to the Philippines was in nineteen ninety seven to scout out a location for AOL to build a contact center at uh, the old Clark Air Force Base, right? Um, so the stigma of, you know, nearshore, offshore support has pretty much been eliminated from my perspective. Uh, you, know, the, you, know, the, you know, when you think about, you know, buyer behavior, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, there was a lot of nervousness in moving to some of these countries that, you know, some you know, folks have never visited before. Right. Uh, for the type of skill set that you can get in those countries to service your customers um, has been a, 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 a fairly large shift in my career over the last 25 years, even though it may not be new to, you know, folks who are in the industry you know the last 10 or 15 years. Um, you know, as I look back, you know, we were, you know, I had a contact center in Bangalore, India, uh, and, and I think we launched it in 1996. So, you know, it's been a, a pretty interesting journey to watch the industry kind of mature and, you know, both how they're, you know, sourcing, you know, uh, you know nearshore and offshore locations and then the technology and infrastructure that allows companies to, you know, support their customers.
0: And they're huge sort of global trends, aren't they? I mean, what you were saying about, you know, scouting out the Philippines and India nearly quarter of a century ago, uh, it, it really was the kind of the cutting edge of globalization back then, whereas now it's just, it's so normalized, isn't it? You know, kind of small startups like a 20-year-old will now have a VA in the Philippines and you've got the technology facilitating globalized reach of employment and a globalized workforce. Uh, and as you say, you know, all of the infrastructure uh, has improved. Everything's in the cloud. There's not the capital requirements to set up these things. Uh, and, of course, you know, there's a there's a huge trend, uh, no doubt helped a little bit by COVID, towards well, remote and globalized work. So there's, there's uh, incredible uh, sort of trends, huh?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that was the other part that I was going to mention. I mean, I think, um, I think I was, uh, I was running a call center in Albuquerque, New Mexico early in my career with AOL and, um, I didn't have enough seats. So I started talking to our IT team about putting some people in a work at home, uh, environment. Um, and this was in like 1997. And I, I actually worked for a pure play work at home company for a little while, um, here in the US. Uh, and um, when you think about uh, back to a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago, you know, when I joined the company, one of my, you know, here and I had a conversation about work at home. I was really concerned about the US business because the labor market was, uh, you know, very tight. I think unemployment was in a 60-year low. And I had a conversation with here and said, listen, we we need to invest in a technology stack that can allow us to kind of source labor, you know, outside of our brick and mortar contact centers domestically, because I'm worried that we're not going to be able to find the talent that we need in the labor markets that we're in. And, um, so we, we made some investments and spent several million dollars, um, at the time, uh, on our work at home platform. Um, so when we fast forward to you know March of 2020 you know twenty and the pandemic hit, all of the processes and, and and it's not just the technology infrastructure that you have to invest in. It's also you know how do you have a one on one with somebody in a remote location, right? Uh, your supervisor sitting in their house and you're sitting in you know as an agent in your house. How do you have a dynamic interaction around? you know, having a coaching conversation in a performance management discussion, right? And so investing in tools and and processes um, to create, you know, a a different relationship with your employees has been, you know, one of the big hurdles that I think companies have struggled with. And we we had to spend a lot of time uh, prior to COVID on how we would implement a work at home Platform domestically in the U.S. So when COVID did transpire, we were able to kind of lift all those processes up, shift them to our you know nearshore and offshore locations, and redeploy uh, all of our workforce in the Philippines, and uh, uh, Guatemala, and several other locations to work at home. Uh, basically, utilizing the same processes and learnings that we had uh, in the domestic market. And to your point, you know, the again, when you look at uh, high-speed connections in homes, regardless of geography, it's becoming kind of a you know a standard uh, from a uh, from a consumer perspective. So it's not unusual to have you know uh, high-speed connections in homes in countries that 20 years ago wouldn't have had, you know, you know, the same level of, you know, of Internet access and, and it a lot. And then the technology to deliver calls to the desktop has changed dramatically as well, lowering the requirements from, you know, a bandwidth perspective. So it's been a really, you know, interesting 12 months, uh, particularly when 95 percent of your workforce is completely remote. I've been really proud of the work that the team's done. And, and I think a lot of companies, both you know companies that have their own captive contact center operations, um, along with uh, uh, companies like ours uh, you know in the outsource space, are learning a lot through this uh, journey over the past twelve months. I think one hurdle that we're gonna the industry, Um, whether it's captive or it's outsourced is going to, you know, come to terms with very quickly is most of our folks have been at home for 12 to 15 months. (laughs) You know, I was talking to an executive uh, in another company and uh, they did an internal uh, uh, employee opinion poll about uh, work at home and 92% of their employees said they wanted to stay at home in some form or fashion. And you think about that impact on kind of the industry, whether it's in the Philippines, it's in the United States, or any other location. Um, I think that's going to be something that companies are going to have to wrestle with. And, and this this whole idea that you can't have a productive resource in a work at home environment, offshore or near shore, has just been completely obliterated. Right? You. you there's no reason why, you know, moving forward into the future that work at home can't be a standardized model from a business perspective. We're doing work at home in Japan, by the way. Right. So, you know, I think if you have the right, you know, uh, consumer protection tools and infrastructure in place from a data and privacy standpoint um, and, you're adhering to kind of the same processes that you would see in a brick and mortar environment, that the risk tolerance, uh, the risk level is much lower than I think what most people perceived prior to COVID, right? Because, you know, companies didn't have a choice. They had to mm-hmm. service their customers and they had to do it in a way <laughs> that uh, met the requirements of a you know, post-COVID world, right?
0: It, it's an incredible period that we've just gone through, isn't it? I mean, it is literally a once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, uh, situation. And, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, and, and I think it's forced everyone to reconsider what is what is normal, what is standard, what, you know, what is expected, what can be done, and everyone is, has sort of, you know, progressed leaps and bounds in terms of uh, how, how they structure things. And it's funny, the BPO industry is – is focused on process optimization and that that's kind of the active process of the of the client business but also it can be the process of the staffing of the of the hr and the the kind of the solutions around the provision and so you know i think the bpo industry and ever of course is looking at you know it's just re reevaluating and re-optimizing the whole setup isn't it it's, it's kind of questioning everything
1: And you think about digital experience, you know, digital experience and transformation extends also to, you know, your employees, right? There are, there are internal customers, um, you know, our, you know, from the time somebody wants to join our company, um, today to the time they actually, you know, take their first phone call on behalf of our clients, right? Uh, and consumers, they literally, in, in a lot of cases, never see uh, you know a human be- never interact physically with the human being um, in terms of their onboarding experience all that process has been you know somewhat has been automated and improved and, um, and, and from a design standpoint which allows you to kind of source talent remotely uh, you know interview uh, source recruit interview hire train and performance manage you know folks from a You know completely virtually and it's it's been pretty amazing from a you know from a transformation standpoint the thing i'm proud of about our company and you'd call it serendipity right uh uh but you know that we were focused on this and i think part of the reason we were able to pivot very quickly is we were focused on this um you know 12 18 24 months before, you know, the pandemic actually hit. So we I think we were a little bit better positioned uh to deal with uh you know the transition of, you know, brick and mortar to work at home. And then just Derek logistically, you think about, you know, some of, some of the companies that we compete against have 50, 60, 100,000 employees, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, the last company I was in, we had 25,000 employees you know globally and and uh, i think that that's a, a, a huge logistical challenge to kind of manage through and move people particularly if you have processes that aren't um completely adapted for you know virtual environment and you know i i'm I find it
0: quite amazing you say serendipity, but just, you know, you were, EverRise was obviously in a good position because you had probably seen the trend. You know, you had seen this move towards uh, location-independent um, opportunity, you know, and, and that it, it's not easy to do because you had to invest a lot in the infrastructure and you had to build these things out properly. But it's definitely a, a trend, isn't it? You know, and, and you picked up on that trend um without even knowing that, that COVID might make it uh, a necessity. But could you imagine, Dave, if COVID happened at the beginning of your career when we didn't have everything in the cloud, we didn't have this technological facilitation, it would have been an economic disaster, you know, because it Even, was, fif-
1: yeah, even 15 years ago, it wouldn't yeah. even have been... Would, 10, 15 years ago, it would have been a disaster. Because it was still, <laughs> so,
0: you know, there was still a sort of... Now, paperless is... is Taken for granted. I remember when people were pushing paperless offices, and it was still kind of people were like, you know, this won't really really work. Um, but yeah, twenty five years ago, it would have, you know. So it's it's lucky, you know, and and it, it's kind of forced people to adopt uh, remote, you know, and and it's been a little bit of a sort of a forced relationship, uh, you know. And to be honest, I, I am a little bit concerned because it's a it's a sort of one off experiment, and we've got no longitudinal kind of. Research in terms of how this is going to pan out, and I fear for the younger people of society, you know, because they're not learning from others in a in a um, in a workplace. But it's definitely an interesting period.
1: Yeah, it's actually my, my son. Uh, my son actually just graduated from college right after after COVID hit, and and um, you know he's been working from home from from the time he graduated and and. You know, you think about the advantage that you got of interacting with, um, you know, with uh, with leadership team and, and peers in an office environment. Uh, it's, uh, you know, he's he's, you know, he's more interested in, you know, in, in trying to get back to the office because it's it, it's lonely, right? I mean, it's a, you know, if you're if you're mature and you've kind of been in the industry for a while and you've worked from home, you know, for part of your career it's probably not as big of a deal, but you're, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, when you think about five years from now, you know, what is the, you know, what does the workforce look like? It's something we're going to have to grapple with, uh, not just in our industry, but globally, uh, from a, you know, from a, a company standpoint, I, I, you know, I would just say one last thing on kind of work at home for us. And, you know, we've had, uh, We wouldn't have gotten to where we were at uh, without our clients and 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 so we've had some incredibly gracious and 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 clients that were willing to kind of take that leap of faith with our leadership team to invest in some of the technology infrastructure to deploy a a work at home model Um, and i think we're going to be with them through this journey It's interesting to see some of the attitudes change. Um, You know, I had a call with the COO of another company who said, "Look, I, if it's not broke, I'm not going to try to fix it. We're just going to stay where we're at. We're going to be, you know, we're we're going to stay at work at home uh, for the time being." And and um, I think for our business, uh, we're looking between fifty and you know seventy five percent of our workforce long term is going to be work at home. And, uh, you know, that's going to require us to think about our employee engagement model a little bit differently long term, to your point. How do you create kind of this virtual, you know, team uh, environment that uh, exists when you're, you know, kind of interacting with, you know, multiple people in a brick and mortar environment? So I think that's something that we'll have to focus our efforts around as a company to ensure that people feel like they're connected. And they're not, you know, uh, uh, they're not, um, you know, kind of isolated from a business perspective. So we, I think we've done a a reasonably good job of that uh, from an engagement standpoint, uh, from, a, at least from our company's perspective. Uh, And like most companies, we're going to continue to have to focus on this uh, into the future. But um, I, I think we're kind of in a different uh, paradigm shift from an industry standpoint uh, relative to this, not just domestically in the U.S. where work at home was somewhat accepted, right? But certainly when you look at you know, uh, countries like uh, in Central America and Philippines and India, it's uh, certainly going to be a, a huge paradigm shift from, a, from an industry standpoint.
0: It's funny, you know, and as you say, like work from home was kind of accepted, but it was always kind of kooky, wasn't it? You know, it was a little bit like um, homeschooling and you also had the cutting edge, which were like digital nomads and things, but it's, it's been really accelerated into the mainstream. Have you seen, Dave, a trend, you know, and I, I see this, you know, all the Silicon Valley giants are talking are enabling work from home and potentially on a permanent basis but it won't be long before everyone goes hey you know i'm enabling work from home in san francisco so why are we paying the massive salaries why are they all sitting in the most expensive city in the world why don't we go global so have you in your interactions with clients and conversations have you seen this exploration of if if we're going remote why not go global
1: I, I i haven't had too many discussions with our clients on kind of how they're uh, approaching their workforce and how they're positioning it uh, for some type of you know long term benefit from a you know salary you know from a lower SGNA uh perspective but I have heard uh several clients uh talking about you know reducing their facilities footprints right because they have you know, I think the real estate market is the one that I think about mostly uh, in, in a lot of these locations where companies are, you know, leasing 100,000 square foot, 200,000 square foot facilities and paying all the, you know, uh, uh, annualized lease and, you know, air conditioning costs. And those contracts tend to be locked in for three to five years. Right. And. Um, and I, but I have heard both on our client side and in the industry, kind of what does this you know physical footprint need to look like into the future, right? Um, you know, every company got saddled with uh, you know with paying leases on existing buildings in the past 12 months, right? Uh, where they're where they're empty and, and their employees there's no there's very little to no workforce in them. Uh, I think that, that for me, that's probably going to be one that's going to be interesting to watch unfold over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months as, you know, the vaccination rates start to increase in a lot of these countries outside of the U.S. And there's some quote unquote normal from a business perspective. Companies start assessing what their work-at-home footprint looks like and how much facility space do they really need into the future. I think the real estate market is one that I, I would be paying more attention to because I think that's the first domino that's going to fall.
0: I agree. There was actually quite a big article about the San Francisco property prices and all these tech giants were having to take massive write downs on their properties, you know, in Salesforce Tower and things like that um, because they're just uninhabited now and. Um, you know, it, it, again, it's this sort of macro trend of everything going from bricks and mortar to bits and bytes. And it's all about IP now. And, and kind of it seems that if, you know, if, if you've got anything physical, then then you're almost uh, either tied down by it or, or stuck in the past. It's an incredible trend. I want to come back to EverEyes, of course. And uh, Dave, like is is fascinating. And it's really been doing incredible things over the last few years. Do you want to give us a... Uh, you know, we won't talk about your products much. I really want to dive into the the CX, the DX, the PX. But just give us an introduction into the the sort of recent years of the evolution of everrise
1: Yeah, so so Everise was founded in 2016 uh, by Sudhir Agrawal. Uh, Sudhir had been in the industry uh, almost as long as I have. I think uh, 25 years, 22, 24, 25 years. Actually, started his career. At, um at GE uh in India um and uh, uh spent uh, was one of the early founding was one of the early um employees at Aegis Global spent his time with uh with Aegis and of course um when Aegis uh sold their US business suit here left uh decided to start his own private equity fund and was looking for a platform company um and wanted to create a you know, kind of a different BPO business It was focused primarily around customer experience. Sudhir here is a big fan of Singapore Airlines and he likes to talk about the fact that the planes that they use are very similar to other major airlines, but the differentiating factor in Singapore Airlines is the type of service that you get when you, you know, buy their product or service. And that's part of the, you know, his thesis in investing in this business, uh, to start off with. So he acquired a company in 2000, uh, end of 2016, um, with another private equity partner. Uh, and, uh, the company was called C3 contact center channels. Um, the company was primarily focused on the healthcare vertical, uh, Sudhir, had spent some time uh, 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 with the with the team in 2017. I joined in 2018. Um, in 2018, we acquired another entity called True Source Labs uh, that became our product experience business. And you think about the legacy company C3 uh, was the customer experience business. And we also acquired some other assets, uh, digital assets, uh, uh, that would allow us to build a technology infrastructure um, that could help drive some transformational change from a digital experience perspective with companies. Um, who were interested in, uh, you know, technology applications like, you know, natural language IVR and chatbots and omni-channel platforms to, you know, uh, social media uh, monitoring. So, uh, so we acquired a, a, a another company on the digital experience side. And then we, we spent, you know, basically 12 to 18 months integrating all of those assets um, and we also launched a, a multilingual hub uh, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And you think about, uh, you know, Kuala Lumpur, we had, you know, the, the primary market is, you know, native speakers uh, servicing uh, native speakers, right? So we have uh, literally every Asian language in our Malaysia facilities uh, who are servicing you know uh, uh, consumers in Japan and Korea and Taiwan and Hong Kong and China um, and so we established our uh, our uh, multilingual hub in Kuala Lumpur and uh, over the past two years the investments in c3 TSL uh, the digital company we acquired and our greenfield operation in Malaysia kind of... Uh, uh, became our product set. Uh, now, the verticals that we focus on from a company standpoint are primarily in the healthcare vertical. So, we have um, support, uh, all uh, uh, several national payers in the US marketplace um, on the healthcare side. Uh, and, um, we actually do that in the U.S. We do it near shore, uh, in Guatemala. We have work in the Philippines, uh, and, um, uh, we also have, uh, some of, some of that work in, uh, Kuala Lumpur. So we service the healthcare vertical primarily. It's about 60% of our overall business today. And then we have our PX business, which is really, you know, what I call tier one through tier three technical support focused around um, the connected home and IoT space from a a device standpoint. So uh, our team, you know, really helps companies try and identify where there are uh, customer pain points that they can improve their product. Uh, to reduce our customer contact rate. So we spend a lot of time, um, with the companies that we engage with, uh, in understanding why their customers are calling. Um, and then, you know, if there are problems with their products, we also, you know, uh, you know, do beta testing and root cause analysis around product defects and pro- provide that information back to the product engineering team so they can make improvements in the product. Um, so that, that's our PX business. And then on the digital side, um, we've invested in tools like RPA, Robotics Process Automation, um, with companies like UiPath and Blue Prism. You know, we have our own natural language processing understanding platform. Uh, we also have a chatbot a voice and and, uh, non-voice chatbot platform. And we spent a lot of time investing in the capabilities of those tools, kind of trying to create an end-to-end solution that we can provide uh, our clients in the marketplace, particularly in the small, medium-sized business. So when you think about companies that need to have a CRM platform, they need to have an omni-channel platform uh, they need to have a telephony solution that uh, that can be provided. We can actually provide that end-to-end stack for you know small, medium-sized businesses. Most companies that are very large companies will you know come with their you know with some or all of their technology stack um, from a delivery standpoint. But what I've, what we found is that the small, medium-sized market is somewhat underserved because you think about companies that are, you know, between 500 and a billion dollars of revenue uh, trying to support a customer base uh, and making investments that are, you know, several million dollars uh, into their IT infrastructure and then hiring all the resources that go along with it. Um, I think our solution fits that market very well because, um you know, the, again, the barrier to, you know, to, you know, get into this, to get to the, you know, technology, the latest technology solutions in the marketplace without having to, you know, spend all this, you know, the time, energy, and effort uh, from an infrastructure standpoint. Look, companies, you know, you know, handling consumers is not a core competency for the most part, right? Unless you're, a company like USAA. <laughs> so, you know, most companies they they're, they they should be focused on selling their product and service, and if they can leverage outsourcing um, companies like ours to uh, create uh, what feels like a world-class solution to support their customers, then. It keeps their focus on their core competency, which is their products and services they're trying to sell in the marketplace.
0: It's it's funny, isn't it? I've never actually heard that, and, and it makes so much sense that most businesses aren't they don't specialize in handling their consumers or their customers because they're you know they're, they're steadfast focused on the product and making things great, and and it really is a an art to to manage consumers well, and. You know, it, it sounds a little bit cliche, but they're buying a solution with you and they're buying the expertise that you bring to the the process. Um, can you can you comment on, you know, a lot of the sort of small and medium-sized businesses are moving more towards an outsourcing model where it is is kind of staff leasing. It's it's kind of almost a race to the bottom of transparent, um Uh, staff augmentation, where it's kind of a DIY do it yourself sort of model, but you, you know, are offering solutions and enterprise level solutions to the SMB market. How how do you see those those two sort of outsourcing offshoring models, either working together or converging or, or departing from each other?
1: Well, I think, um, I think it really, it really depends on the, the companies that we're interacting with, right, and, and the level of knowledge that they have about the outsourcing industry, right? And, and a lot of companies, again, this isn't a core competency, so they wouldn't know what they don't know right uh and and so i th- i think part of our responsibility particularly as we start interacting with prospects in the marketplace is to educate them on what the options are you know the, you know it doesn't mean that you know i i every discussion i've had with with you know prospects particularly in smaller companies and by the way we we've, we've been focusing on this uh, because i think as some of these companies grow, we have the opportunity to grow with them and impact how they're architecting their customer experience journey um, and solutions to uh, support their customers and their products and services more effectively. And part of the conversation that you know I always have with them is like, look. You don't have to buy from us, but what we are going to do is we are going to try and help educate you on what's available in the marketplace, right? I think as a, I think as a as a provider of service, that's our responsibility. You know, of course, we want them to do business with us, but I think uh, the core responsibility that we have, particularly as we enter into engagements with. Uh, with some of these companies is to help educate them on what's available in the marketplace. And so there might be uh, uh, opportunities where we provide, you know, the end-to-end contact center technology solution along with the people, right? And there might be, you know, uh, scenarios where the company already has, uh, uh, for instance, a CRM application uh, and or an IVR solution or a telephony solution. So, you know, we might come in over the top and add some capabilities into that, right? So it really just depends on the type of company that we're working with and where they at in their maturity stage in the contact center marketplace. And part of our goal, um, from my perspective, should be to help educate them on what their options are.
0: What proportion of of uh, you know the the mid market that you're squarely dealing with is is new to outsourcing or offshoring versus you know it, it, they're they're just really then shopping around for for new vendors? Do you see that there's still a lot of new entrants to the concept at that size of the market?
1: Absol- yeah, absolutely. Actually, I think COVID has uh, has uh, driven some of this. Right? Think about access to labor you know, these companies, you know, a lot of these companies hadn't invested in the same type of work at home delivery from a business perspective, right? How do you take, I have a, I have a contact center that has a hundred people. I need to be able to, I can't bring them into the office anymore. How am I going to, how am I going to get them to work at home? Right. And, and just as importantly, you know, attrition is a, is a fact of life in any business uh, much less the outsourcing industry whether it's captive or it's uh, it's uh, uh, outsourcing you know how do you source recruit hire train you know a new workforce when you're churning you know 10 15 20 percent annualized right so I think I think that what I, what I've seen over the past 12 months is there's a lot more investigation as an option to outsource for companies, I was on the phone with CEO of another company uh, who was looking at outsourcing for the first time, literally on Monday, and he's nervous, right? And and I said, "Look, this I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, w- you know, we will stay very close to you throughout this, you know, process, right? Uh, but this is what we do uh, in terms of implementing." Uh, designing and implementing a solution that will meet your needs from an outsourcing perspective. So I, in some respects, Derek, I think that, uh, that the uh, small, medium-sized companies have actually, the, the interest has accelerated because of COVID and, you know, these companies still have to service customers but they're, you know, up until recently, even in the U.S., you know, uh, you, you, you know, it was difficult for you know companies to have a you know a brick and mortar presence. If they could avoid it, they would push people to work at home. So, I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to you know now that the you know the veil's you know down a little bit. I think the small medium sized businesses. I think that that's going to be an interesting market for a lot of companies because they'll be looking to outsource for the first time and it's
0: such an enabler isn't it you know when people are trying to figure out in-house solutions within their four walls you're really quite limited to to the options whereas if you if you look sort of globally and you look to partnering um, with you know expert suppliers the, the whole world opens up doesn't it you know and people are you know people see outsourcing as as a cost-saving measure but Primarily, it's about getting access to the expertise and the staffing, the talent, because in so many situations in, you know, many cities in the US, they just can't find the, the staff, can they? Like employment still, even with, with COVID in many respects, employment's at record lows.
1: Yeah, I think access to talent is going to be a primary driver for a lot of U.S.-based companies, um, particularly in small, medium-sized businesses. And, and there have been, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, articles uh, in the press and media the last several months around the tightening labor market uh, in the United States. And so I think access to talent is going to be, you know, is going to continue to be a focus. Um, and then you know, I also think, you know, while the you know post pandemic you know COVID was a catalyst to you know drive change. Remember, you know, a lot of these companies were p- impacted economically as well, right? So anytime there's a, you know, in our industry, just generally speaking, right? Um, anytime there's a recession, a recess, recessionary activity, or something that impacts companies economically. Outsourcing is a first option, right? Because you can reduce your internal costs by uh, by uh, outsourcing, you know, some functions uh, from a business perspective. It doesn't really matter what you know, part of the business is. It could be fp a it could be IT outsourcing, it could be contact center. But it is a lever that companies uh, will use to kind of you know improve their you know fixed cost structure.
0: Yeah, I think so many people see outsourcing as as a as a possible maybe someday, you know, and as maybe seen as a vitamin instead of a painkiller. And people just sort of leave it, they put it, they leave it on the shelf and it's something that they might look at next quarter or next year. And then it takes sometimes a bit of a shock to go, hey, you know, I've, I've heard this working and maybe we should explore it. So it's it's just so important, I think, for a, for a CEO of a business now to, to really properly assess offshoring. They don't have to do it, but, you know, to, to sort of, uh, blindly write it off, I think, is, is quite a kind of uh, a costly risk now, isn't it, these days?
1: Yeah, my guidance to companies, particularly that are new to outsourcing, is, um, you know, and I, I kind of highlight this because I'm proud of these two facts, right? Uh, first is, you need to look at, you know, what do the company's employees think of working for the company that you're considering, right? <laughs> you know, do they enjoy you know, working for the company. And when I look in, in our, our measure of success, uh, at EverEyes is our glass door scores, right? So when you look at our glass door scores, there's some of the high, it's the highest in the industry. I think there's only one other company that's near us, um, from a overall rating standpoint. Um, you know, that was a, uh, an interesting kind of gambit for us where we kind of encouraged our employees to go out and post publicly what they think about working for the com- company, right? And I wouldn't say that every review is rosy. We make mistakes like every company does. But on average, um, you know, the way we handle and manage those, um, you know, kind of our uh, uh, the perception of our, our, our employees of our company is what you know, helps drive, you know, some of the satisfaction that they have when they're working for us. Um, so part of the, you know, you know, discussion that I have with all of our pr- prospective clients is, you know, if you're considering a company to do work for, it, go look at Glassdoor, right? The way job seekers, you know, assess companies is through Glassdoor today, right? It is a virtual world everything's you know public right and and so i think you know we i've been proud of the fact that we've kind of managed to create uh, uh employee you know scores in the marketplace that are top of the industry right and the second part that i would ask um go talk to your clients right you know we measure our clients from an nps perspective Pretty standard metric. We we measure our agents right on NPS. How you know? How do you you know? Would you would you be willing to recommend this product or service to a friend? It's a pretty simple question, right? And um, and it's no different in outsourcing. And I'm proud to say that our NPS scores are some of the highest that I've ever had. The Um, you know, uh, pleasure of kind of managing against in my career. Uh, So, you know, I think we do a great job for our clients and we do a great job for our employees. And if you got those two legs of the stool, um, you know, uh, in terms of picking up a potential partner, and it is a partnership, it's not a vendor relationship, if you're looking for a true partnership, I think those are two key metrics that any company that are small, medium-sized or even large companies should be asking themselves.
0: Mm. Incredible, yeah, because you know, I've, I've called it solutions myself and people refer to it as outsourcing, and they just expect a, a result or an output, but it, it's you know, 110% of people, person, business, isn't it? And you've got to keep your people happy and they've got to be happy doing what they're doing so that they're, they're doing their job well. It's so critical to have that human piece in place. Well, Dave, incredible. Thank you so much and and brilliant to spend time with you and uh, incredible uh, career of your own and uh, an exciting journey of Everise. So, of course, I always encourage people to, to pick up the phone and have a conversation about outsourcing because, you know, if you're not doing it already, it's uh, it's an incredible strategic um, boon for, for your company. So uh, Dave, if anyone wants to learn more about everize or get in touch, how can they do that?
1: Uh, they can reach out to us at sales uh, at Um And uh, I would say that, uh, you know, it's a, If if anyone's interested, I try to make sure that I stay involved in any engagement that we have personally. Um, And uh, I love our company and and love to spend time talking about our company to anybody who's willing to listen. So I appreciate the time, Derek.
0: That was Dave Palmer of EverRise. If you want any of the show notes, as always, go to OutsourceAccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything,
1: then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.